listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast by Dr. T. Michael W. Halcom, Dr. Frederick J. Long, Dr. Mario Melendez, Dr. Jennifer Noonan, and J. M. Smith. Welcome and enjoy. Shalom, this is Dr. Jennifer Noonan, and here is your SLA Insight for this week. We've been talking about comprehensible input, and a couple episodes ago, I introduced the importance and, and in fact, the essential nature of comprehensible input for language acquisition. So last episode, this episode, and then again next episode, I'm looking at different ways to make the input comprehensible, because For those of us who teach ancient languages, all we have are the ancient texts, which are just not comprehensible for an early learner. In order to understand a written text, again, a student has to know at least 95 to 98% of the words. And that's not just for comprehension, that's also the point at which they will be learning or acquiring more of the language along the way. Um, and this gets back to Creation's input hypothesis, where the ideal input is I plus one, what the student knows plus one degree more difficult, whereas our ancient texts are I plus five, six, ten, uh, maybe more. So we need to be finding ways to give our beginning students, especially, comprehensible input at that 95 to 98% threshold or I plus one. So the three primary approaches that I'm looking at, last week we talked about contextual clues, adding especially visual aids, pictures, diagrams, stuffed animals, um, various things that will help a student understand what is being said and make the input more comprehensible. And I challenge you to go on to the five senses, to feeling and even tasting and hearing, to promote uh, understanding of what the text is saying. Um, So this week now, I'm moving on to simplifying input, taking the input we have and making it easier to read. And I'll look at a couple ways of doing that. And then next week, I'm going to talk about negotiating meaning as a means of simplifying input. So for this week, two approaches for simplifying the input. First is a diglot weave, and the second is creating your own text from scratch. So starting with this idea of a diglot weave, it means having a text with two languages, effectively. And the the short definition is you take out the words your students don't know from the L2, the second language text, be it Hebrew, Greek, Latin, take out the words they don't know and replace them with L1 words, the language they do know, their native tongue, for most of us being English. So I have with me here an example. I'm going to share my screen. So this is an example of three different levels of a diglot weave based on the text of Exodus chapter three. Now, as you can see, this first one is a bit shorter and there are a number of ellipsis points. Not only did I replace Hebrew with some English, I also left out some non-essential elements of the story. Um, 
if you can't leave them out, you're going to have to replace them with, with L1 or your, your first language. But notice that the, the story is, um, and God called to Moses, dot, dot, dot. And Moses said, and he said, excuse me, Moses, Moses. And he said, and here's where I left out the Hineni, um, here I am. That's what, how Moses responds. And I continue, the PNs here are marking personal names so that the student doesn't feel like they have to translate those. But it's a very shortened version of this text from Exodus chapter three for an earlier student who knows this level of vocabulary and grammar. Now, the second one here in the middle is the same text, but for a slightly later student. In this case, I've left out some of the same things, but at the end of this first line, I've included the Hineni, because at this point now, the students can understand that portion. I filled in with a few other vocabulary items, a few grammar items that, again, this student a couple weeks later would be able to understand. They don't have the whole text yet, but it's focusing at where they are and giving them only as much as they can understand at that 95 to 98% coverage range. The third text is more complete yet, where I have more text, more Hebrew text filled in, fewer gaps. Now, there's a whole phrase here, remove your sandals from your feet, because the students aren't ready for that, but it's essential now, because I have more of the text, to fill that in so they know what's coming before and after and how it all fits in. So again, this is an example of a diglot weave and at three different levels of proficiency, depending on where your students are. And it's, it's actually a good idea to present the same text as I've done here three different times with your students. We'll talk about this when we get into more of a, a later in upcoming months about reading and reading proficiency and developing reading proficiency. But for, for the purposes here, it's a good idea to go ahead and repeat that through the course of the, the, um, the class time, you know, a couple weeks divided, add in a little bit more. It gives reinforcement to the students and it also promotes their fluency and their reading ability to read quicker and it provides more motivation as they get more and more of the text like, oh, look, I know more this time. I can read more of it. I've got what it said before from a couple weeks ago, and now I've got a few new words. Look what I'm learning. And so it, it also provides that motivation for students if you can do it in this way. So this is um, a diglot weave, again, where you're putting the two languages together using your native language to fill in where you don't understand or where your students don't understand the, the second language that they're acquiring to get them to that I plus one level. Now, there are a few benefits of using a diglot weave. One is that students are reading authentic text. They've been modified. You've been pulling things out but you're not adding anything to it. So you're still dealing with authentic text and you don't have to worry about creating something from scratch. You don't have to worry about risking teaching incorrect grammar or syntax or, or whatever. And as I've demonstrated, the text can be recycled as you use fewer and fewer native language terms each time around, which again provides reward and motivation so they can see the progress they're making. 
the drop rack, and especially for Hebrew, because you're switching left to right, right to left, is it can get a little bit confusing. It'll take, it, for some people, a little more processing to switch from Hebrew to English and back, but it's not significant enough to keep you from using something like this. So that's a diglot weave, where you're weaving together the two languages. Now, the second approach to creating a simplified text is to create one from scratch, to, to write your own simplified, comprehensible input in the language. Now, Brian Schultz has um, presented a great uh, approach to this. He presented at ETS in 2020 on creating your own text uh, in Hebrew, some of the pitfalls and some of the pathways forward. It's worth doing, but you have to be very careful about how you do it. Um, so I'm gonna give you a few recommendations and then an example. So first of all, you need to start and finish with the original text. Comb those texts for anything you can use and draw it into what you're writing. Um, keep it as close to the original as possible and you will prevent creating errors into your text. Find a passage that seems to say what you want it to say. And if you have to, you can swap out some Hebrew or Greek or Latin vocabulary and grammar as appropriate for the level of your students. So for example, if you've come across a text you want to use, it really says what you want to say, but there's one word where that's using a really um, uh, infrequent, unusual vocabulary item that you can easily swap out a more common one, that's an easy way to do it. Um, but then if you start swapping too much and you start getting into grammar and syntax, you can't just swap out, for example, in Hebrew, a narrative preterite with a perfect, if that's what you're trying to do, because the syntax is different from those two verbal forms. So you have to be very careful how you go about it, but do it and go through those original texts and see if you can find what it is you're looking for. Watch very carefully for collocations and syntax. And what I mean by that is if you're swapping vocabulary, watch because certain vocabulary items can only be used in certain contexts or with certain verbs. Certain verbs only take certain prepositions. Um, and the way you order the words is maybe different depending on the vocabulary that you're swapping in and out. So be very careful, do it, but be be careful, check, double check, read and reread, looking for examples of, of what you want to use. Another suggestion, and this again comes from Brian Schultz, have a colleague or multiple colleagues read your work, work with you, look for examples, collaborate, work together. They're going to see or know things that you don't know about the language and how it works. And don't assume that just because the English translation of the passage says what you want it to say, that you have it right. So for example, Hebrew has two different words for the English word where that are used in different ways. Just because you can translate it where into English doesn't mean you've used the right Hebrew word. Be very careful about making sure that you can have the right vocabulary, the right grammar, the right syntax for the situation, the context in which you're using. Another recommendation that Brian Schultz has suggested in his presentation is that you spend a lot of time 
reading and listening to the original text yourself. As you're reading, keep an ear out for those things that you want to say, for ideas, for creating your text, for, oh, that's how you use where, or that particular um, Hebrew word for where, if that's what you're doing. Um, get a feel for the flow and the, the cadence and the rhythm of the language as you listen to it. Read it and reread it, watching for how they, they create. And as you're starting to create these simplified texts, you're going to be have a heightened awareness for those things. And you're going to start seeing things you never saw before. So do that to help you as you create these texts. Now, the benefits here is that you're going to be able to compose texts that are precisely gauged at your student, precisely at the right level, you're going to be able to embed the exact vocabulary you want, the exact grammar, syntax that you want to introduce or refine or re reinforce in your teaching. Um, those are the benefits. You can do it very well and very precisely. The pitfalls um, are two. One, on one hand, you can be too arrogant, um, too bold, and compose something that, in Brian Schultz's words, are neither Hebrew nor biblical. Um, and if we're quick to publish those things, we end up perpetuating error for the future generations. The second pitfall on the other end of the spectrum is that we can choose not to do it at all for fear of making those mistakes, and our students miss out and are going to be frustrated by these texts that are too difficult for them, way above their ability, and their learning is going to be uh, hampered by their, the, the struggle that they have to deal with a text that is at levels way above their ability to comprehend or understand. So I'm going to put up here um, with me, I have an example of a simplified text that I've written for Hebrew. It uses the the phrase yesh li, which in Hebrew means I have. It's a very simple phrase. There's no verbs associated with it the way there are in English, so we're not talking about conjugating verbs. So the, the focus is more on vocabulary. And it's very simple, at least in Hebrew, but English learners tend to trip over it a bit because it's not intuitive. It's not the way we say I have. It's there is to me, effectively. And so I'm going to show you this story because it's also easy to just swap out vocabulary at the end of it. Yeshli, and you put in whatever vocabulary you want. Now notice I've also created it in the context of a story, kind of a, a simple story along the lines of sea spot run, kind of, not even as, as complex as Dr. Seuss, but keeping it simple at a very early level. Um, and also notice this is not professional, okay? I'm not an artist. It includes contextual clues with pictures, but they're very simple stick figures. And I'm doing this to show you it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be publishable or super perfect or beautiful to, for it to work. If you can do those things, by all means, do it. If you're an artist, make it work. But notice that it still works even at a very basic stick figure kind of level. So I'm going to read this story with you in Hebrew, and I'll translate it along the way for those of you whose um, main language is not Hebrew, perhaps Greek or Latin or something else. So we start with Shalom, hello, the beginning, and a smiley face because Shalom is may you be well, whole, happy. All right. 
Shmi, Yosef. My name is Joseph. Na'ar Ani. I am a youth, not an adult, not a child. Yeshli Av. Yeshli Aim. I have a father. I have a mother. Yeshli Bait. I have a house, not a culturally sensitive house, not an Israeli house, but culturally relevant to the, to the students. Yeshli Bait. Yesh li tzon. I have a sheep. Yesh li Elohim. I have God. Yesh li shalom. I have peace. And so a simplified text, um, nothing fancy but written from scratch, something that can help an early student read at their level and comprehend it. And again, it's not just simplified, it also has the contextual clues to go with it with the pictures, stick figures, though they are. <clears throat> so conclusion to wrap things up for today, simplifying text is a means of making input comprehensible for our students. And the benefits go beyond just comprehension. As I've been saying all along, students need comprehensible input to acquire language. They need to be able to read texts, to hear language at their level or just slightly above that creation's I plus one, ideally to learn and acquire language in the most efficient and effective way possible. So for next episode, I'm going to be talking about making input comprehensible through negotiation of meaning. I hope you'll be able to enjoy, uh, join me then. Until then, have a great week. Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glosa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glosahouse.com today. Glosa House, language resources for the global community.